At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Havick. Healthcare Americana is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We're not clinicians or policymakers. We're patients, we're caregivers, we're executives and advocates who are fed up with the status quo. We have a desire to change it. This podcast brings listeners backstage at innovative organizations with innovative individuals across America and Canada that are putting patients first by delivering exceptional care to anyone and everyone. I mentioned, uh, for those of you who, who listen regularly, I did say and Canada. And that has relevance with today's conversation. Today's conversation is about this fabled position of a chief medical officer. There are a ton of definitions and a ton of different ways that people think about CMOs, chief medical officer. Most of those revolve around hospitals and healthcare settings. But today, and one of the reasons why I mentioned Canada in my intro there, we're welcoming Andrew Morton, the CEO of Bloom Health Partners, to the show to really dispel what I believe is the myth of the chief medical officer and how this role has so much more potential in not just corporate life, but everyday businesses as far as employee wellness and employee well engagement goes. So, Andrew, welcome to Healthcare Americana. I say this a lot, but I'm excited. I'm very intrigued to have this conversation with you. And I think there's a lot of value in it because you're presenting something that is familiar to most of our audience in the medical world, but yet saying, hey, we need to think kind of outside the box here. In your mind, should there be a chief medical officer in pretty much every single company out there? Great question, Christopher. I think the larger organizations should seriously consider this, uh, and, and we are seeing it already. And if you look at uh, the major airlines, uh, GE Corporation is a great example. We actually have uh, one of our team on our board of directors is actually the CMO, Chief Medical Officer at GE. Large organizations definitely should, and if at the very least should consider that as a practice within the, within the organization. You know, a CMO, a Chief Medical Officer, and you bring up a really good point about this, is specifically about the inward focus of the employees. It's really that person that's the oversight. You know, we, without hesitation, we hire a chief information officer in a big company. Without hesitation, you have the IT manager because you've got IT systems, cybersecurity. Well, health of the individual is something that I don't want to say has been overlooked, but it hasn't been a priority among a lot of companies. It's generally been one of those things where we're going to have a good health care plan, hopefully with a reasonable deductible. Employees sort of self-manage. And the way healthcare ten, generally tends to work in America and Canada and, gosh, you know, pretty much all the G7 nations and around the world is very much reactive. But what about the preventative care of the individual? And that's what the CMO kind of does, chief medical officer, is they start thinking about what is the health of the organization, which is essentially the most important asset, which is the employee. I was going to ask you to divine what a chief medical officer kind of in, in your mind does the roles and responsibilities, because when I first started you know, researching this episode, I was guilty of saying, well, isn't this just falling underneath HR? 
is Andrew just talking about a fancy new title for some other high-paid HR executive? It's funny you should say that. I think it would have been looked upon that way pre-pandemic. You know, the pandemic, if nothing got it exposed, we had some gaps in our healthcare system. And, uh, and having listened to many of your podcasts, that's definitely been a hot topic the last 24 months or so. Now, gosh, it's been more than two years, which is hard to believe. But if nothing, organizations have recognized that their employee health is going to be a driver for success for the next decade. Something else has also happened as well. And I, I never would have put us, uh, us as a society here. It's looking like a major worker shortage across the board in, in all industries. I'm not just talking about Silicon Valley executives that want to go work from Tahoe or something. I'm talking about people working in factories, coffee shops, ski resorts, you name it. What is an organization going to do to extend the lifespan and, the, and essentially the overall productivity of their workforce? You can only provide so many posters with mission statements and that kind of thing. But health is a major driver. And because of the pandemic, that employee is thinking of that as top of mind. And a CMO typically will oversee all of those kinds of programs to look at the long-term productivity of the organization. You have a great point there. Workforce participation rate, last I checked, was like 61.9%, you know, creeping up into the 62%, which sounds good, but historically that's a good 7 8% off of where it needs to be for a fully healthy economy to run here. And so it is about, you know, benefits come in, and really, Andrew, in, in my mind, we have the opportunity to really redefine what workplace benefits are. What does, what does that mean to people? Is that just an insurance policy that nobody knows how to use? And, you know, I love your point there where a CMO is somebody who looks internally. What are we doing for our people? Are we actually providing something that's useful? Are we keeping our people healthy? So talk about a little bit about, you know, your experience at Bloom in how you steer those conversations and, and really what organizations can do to ensure that, yeah, I am attracting talent that I need, I am retaining talent that I need, and I'm keeping my people as productive as they possibly can be. Sure. Well, well this topic, I mean, it was very much, it really comes from our clients. It's what they told us, and this is at the highest levels of some pretty big companies in America, that at the, at the very highest levels of some of these big corporations, their biggest concern is recruiting talent. So you know when you're when you're looking when you're a public company CEO and you're thinking quarter to quarter, all you're thinking about is productivity. You know, obviously, you have to look you know years out. There's strategic plans and all that, but the the one thing that keeps coming back now is they suddenly can't find people. You know, and and it kind of the crux of this and this you know what I'm explaining here is what the demand and why you know why the interest all of a sudden. Because at the end of the day, they're still running a business, right? But the problem, they, a couple things have happened the last couple of years. On the one hand, if you look at the employee or the employee availability, we will call it the supply of employees. Baby boomers have all but retired now, and they're pretty much done for the most part. You know, you're talking about a, a generation where it's kind of 65, 70 plus at the younger side. They're gone. They're moving. They've moved on, right? You know, the majority of them are kind of mid-70s now. Very few are still working with the exception of some real famous executives out there, you know, famous financiers and that kind of thing. Pretty much everybody else is done. They, they retired. Uh, and COVID kind of, they, they kind of it saw to that. It, kind of, you know, the, it was an opportunity to, to take the package. Then there's my generation, which you consider Generation X. We're a very small generation. Uh, you know, many of us come from divorced homes and all kinds of stuff. So it's just a small generation. It's just a, the nature of the next generation. And then you have what we call Gen Z or Millennial. And again, I, I would call a fragmented generation of people just entering the workforce. You know, people like to beat up on Millennials for being lazy or this or that. I think that's ridiculous. I think it's just the next generation to take a beating just like mine did. <laughs> Everybody does. Takes a beating from the previous. But the point is... There's a shortage, there's a gap in there. There's not a lot of us, 
and there are in and it's kind of a fragmented millennial Gen Z pool, which means a worker shortage. So take that back to an employer's perspective. Their experienced people are moving on if they haven't already. The the ones in the kind of the fifty kind of fifty five kind of range, the ones where you know, and I'm not talking about executives. I'm talking about factories where you have machinists that understand how to run a conveyor belt and how to how to, how to fix that conveyor belt. That's an on the job skill. So to keep that employee on for the next five plus years until the next generation can get the on the job apprenticeship and learn that role, there's a gap there. And if you start losing those people because of poor health or because there's a job down the down, down the street that offers two dollars more an hour. That's going to be a big problem for a company leader. As a millennial, I, I appreciate you know the sentiment absolutely, but I think our reputation part of it is that very few in the in the current working kind of generation are super loyal to a company. We don't have lifers. I'm not you know I don't know anybody who's like yeah I'm as soon as I get out of high school or college I'm going to go work for the same company and that's just going to be it. It doesn't exist anymore, you know. So it's a whole it's a whole shift. Yeah, great point. No, and, and that's absolutely a good point to this. And this is what we're getting is how do you build that employee loyalty? What can you put out there to attract the employee? I think the, I think the free 24-hour buffet that Silicon Valley offers to many of their employees, I think that's becoming less appealing than healthcare. And if you look at the cost of healthcare for you know, a typical American employee, if you look at the median income of, of America, the majority of the insurance premiums you know, are covered by the employer. However, the deductibles are quite heavy. You know, And if this is a median... Income, you're talking in north of fifty thousand dollars a year, somewhere in that range. You're talking about two to five thousand dollars per deductible per year for a lot of insurance plans. That's a significant percentage of somebody's take-home pay. If there is a means on site where there's additional health care offered, it's layered as part of the employment, meaning when that employee shows up at work, they know there's a clinic they can go to. And there's plans in place to take care of them. That starts to change the picture a little bit in terms of what they when they consider loyalty, to your point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm totally on board with that from Freedom Health Works, and from what we see, just trying to increase access and lower cost, um, real costs, out-of-pocket costs, not just the fictional costs that you know hospitals and insurance companies like to put out there. But you know, to what you said before, and I know I've said this before, but um, you know, health insurance premiums are increasing. And, and last I saw last year, they were up upwards of twenty-two thousand dollars a year for a family of four. Employers burdening burdened with about thirteen thousand of that. But that's still a ton of cost for, like you said, you know, a family earning anywhere from fifty thousand uh, dollars medium income, or anywhere, you know, give or take. That's still a massive chunk of change to be going to health insurance. That <laughs> I've heard people call health insurance a scam before. I don't want to go down that route, but you know, it's it's a very expensive policy that uh, you hope you don't have to use. All right, so going back to the conversation about a chief medical officer, and I touch upon this in the introduction, that usually we see these, those titles are only in healthcare settings, hospitals, that type of a thing. Looking at that world, do you believe that when you talk about chief medical officer, someone is just like, oh, that's just lip service, that's just something we have to have over here because it's a hospital setting, and they don't really have any power decision-making? Well, in the traditional sense of CMO, chief medical officer, would have been much like, um, I hate to call it a CTO, chief technical officer, because a CTO sort of builds products, you know, and helps, you know, for a technical company. A chief information officer is all about the internal workings of the company, or we managing cybersecurity, how's our networks. A CMO, a chief medical officer, that's a, that's a title that's gone well beyond the healthcare setting now because there's a medical need in many big companies. And you're, when you're managing a force, you're able to talk much, you know, much, 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 you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 100. 
50,000, 100,000 employees. You're getting into a place where, you know, some, you know, worker health issues are going to weigh heavily on loyalty programs, like you said earlier. A CMO will understand what's going to work, what to implement, and what trends to follow. And what's a great example? Mental health. Right. Uh, mental health is an epidemic nobody's really talking about right now, at least on the front page. The front pages right now are they've been dominated by COVID forever. Now it's dominated by some some awful stuff happening in Europe and I think the stock market now. But the point is, it's not front, it's not front page news, but it's there. A uh, number I just got it was a pre pandemic number was thirty four percent of all American workers have weekly feelings of depression or anxiety or both, which is a big number. One of our board members on our team is actually, as I mentioned this at the beginning of our discussion, she's the chief medical officer at GE Corporation. And that's not, that's, that's not for GE medical products. That's exactly what I'm describing. This is exactly what she does. And we did a podcast last week for, for some folks, and she had identified that the numbers she's seeing are even closer to 50% of all American workers. So mental health, so that's a driver for all kinds of other medical conditions. So if a good CMO or a good plan We'd have like a virtual CMO, much like you'd hire an IT consultant to come in and say, hey, let's talk about a program here. What does that do for the company in the next five years? It gives you some idea that your employees are going to be mentally fit, but then also physically fit, which comes very closely behind that. We're talking with Andrew Morton, CEO of Bloom Health Partners. Andrew, so I got to ask, because again, I'm, I'm in the healthcare world, right? I deal with physicians and patients. What kind of person makes a good CMO when you're stepping outside of those healthcare settings and you know investing in your team within corporate America? What kind of candidates are you looking for? What kind of skill sets? I think the ones that have come with a little bit of an occupational health background tends to help because at least within occupational health, they've had employer needs in mind. You know, occupational health has been around a long time; it hasn't changed much in the last couple of decades. It's a big part of what we're doing is innovating. And we've really taken occupational health, and we call it operational health, which is about keeping an organization operational and tailoring it to the needs of the employer. I think a good CMO, at the very least, should come out of that world, at least understanding you know, what, what individual needs are of companies. It helps to at least understand productivity. And traditionally, you know, occupational health has always been sort of a reactive thing. You know, I, like to, I like to liken it to like a school nurse station. You know, they, they tape up elbows and skin knees and this kind of thing. I think that's a missed opportunity where organizations can use that to do preventative medicine. And a good CMO can look at that and say, okay, well, now we have something that not only are we dealing with the problems, you know, the day-to-day, you know, kind of primary care type problems, but preventative care and wellness can actually come into the picture. And wellness, I think the great thing about millennials and Gen Z is that we have, we have a generation coming up here that's really serious about their health as compared to previous generations. And the quality of life for all of those folks to come in now and say to their company, what are you doing for me? Well, this is the employer's ability to shine and say, hey, look, we, we now have this program that's, that's here for you. If you have some, you know, some issues that you got to deal with on your own, we've got resources for you to deal with those issues. If you're worried about your health or you want to get yourself checked out, it's on us and we'll give you a report. It's your private information. You can walk away with that. A good CMO will see that as a driver for long-term viability of the organization. Because when you have a, a healthy workforce, you can have a productive workforce. What's a CEO care about? What's a, you know, what, first thing a CEO, you know, he or she is going to care about one thing, which is going to be, hey, is my company going to be here a year from now? Can we be productive? Can we, can we count on this? It's no less important than, you know, are my IT systems working? You know, are, are my factories running? Well, they don't run without people. It's really putting your money where your mouth is, right? Walking the walk, talking the talk. In, in the past couple of years, you know, we've heard all kinds of issues about hiring people. And it's almost like people just 
You know, maybe those Avenger movies were a little bit more crystal ball than we thought when they just snapped their finger and all of a sudden people just disappeared. I'm like, where is everybody, you know? How, how, can, how can we have so many jobs that, that just aren't getting filled here? And then this puts, on the, puts the emphasis even there that, okay, we have to back up what we're saying because people are seeing through, they're piercing that veil very quickly that, yeah, you're saying this, but in reality, I'm not, that's not what I'm feeling. So you kind of touched upon this, you know, as far as what kind of programs a CMO can put in. This isn't just, hey, Barb from HR wants you to go see your doctor, right? This is so much more than that. So I know you described that in a little bit, but dive into a little bit more detail on what you see being effective from companies that you work with that, you know, CMO steps in and they they make a real impact in people's lives. I think the employee needs to identify the employer as a place where not it's not just a place to go to work, but where good things happen. I think if you start doing that, you start building that culture. And culture comes with, from within. You know, one of, the, one of the weirdest things people always say to new leaders when they come in is, what's the culture going to be? A good leader will always say, well, it's up to you. <laughs> because I can't, I can't tell you to you know, be, be, be enthusiastic, damn it, and call it culture. It doesn't work that way. You know, people aren't they're not, they're not geared that way. So there needs to be something that they do. And, and to your, you made this point earlier, and you made a really good statement, put your money where your mouth is. If you, if you create the environment where they go there and they associate it with, hey, when I go to work, you know, I'm not feeling great. I can just walk down the hall or down to the end of the factory, and there's, there's a place I can go ask some questions. They can check me out. Or every six months, if I'm just feeling a little bit nervous, I can go in there and I can run some tests. And it's not going to cost me out of pocket. Well, then that suddenly becomes part of their daily life, and now you're ingraining the company into really how they see themselves in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, you said something there about just walking down, you know, the hallway. Have you run into any cases where the employee is a little hesitant to get involved with employee sponsored clinics or anything along those lines because they're like, you know what, I, I kind of want that wall between my personal health and then work. I'm just curious. Uh, after uh, kind of ping my uh, my curiosity when you said that. Well, well, that's a great question. Psychologically. You know, the way we're, we've, been, we've been dealt with, we've always dealt with healthcare ourselves as people, and I'm sure you agree with this, is it's always, it's always associated with something negative. I've got to go to the doctor. It must be awful. You know, I, I have a doctor's appointment tomorrow. I can't come in in the morning. It must be awful. It's not always awful. You know, if anybody's had children, you, know, you go to the maternity ward, nobody's sick there. It's a different kind of a place. It's, you, know, you realize it's not a, this is not a panic situation. Everybody's in kind of a good mood in the maternity ward. So it's, it's not all that different you know, in that the employer could be associated with providing a positive outcome for healthcare. You know, if you don't, you have a, a discrete place you can go, they can run some tests for you, you send it off to the lab, it's on the company. Well, now you have a picture of your own personal health. This is brought to you by the place you go to work every day. You know, and you know, what does the worker get in return for all that? What they get is you know, really, you know, the, I mean, the employer obviously gets some big things because you're going to have more productive workforce, but the employee themselves get some peace of mind that, you know, as long as they keep working at that company, that service is going to continue. If they're not feeling well, inevitably that's going to happen. It's not, it's the barrier of going to the doctor's office is kind of gone. You just go down to the, uh, to the clinic. Oh, there's so much stigma, so many barriers about that. You know, maybe we should just change the nomenclature of, uh, hey, instead of, I have a doctor's appointment this morning, oh my gosh, are you okay? I'm kind of thinking, you know, maybe just call, hey, I got to go get an oil change, or, you know, because if you say, if you tell people that uh, I got to take my car to the mechanic, they're going to be like, holy cow, what's wrong? Yeah, I'm just getting for a, a routine uh, oil change. I think there's something there, Andrew. I got I to gotta think about that a little bit more. But you know what? It's all about messaging, right? It's all about messaging how you talk about things. Without question. You know, and you touched on insurance for a second, which is, you know, I don't want to think bad about the insurance industry. But at the same time, costs are definitely going up. 
the amount of people that have gone to the doctor in the last 24 months has dropped significantly, so which means the data is unavailable for to most insurers. So insurers will do what they need to do to survive. So of course, premiums have gone up. That's just a, it's a fact of life. Anybody here that's paid insurance in the last little while know, has noticed a noticeable increase in the cost. That's a result of a lack of data. Okay, so what an operational health operation or a good CMO will do for a company is they'll provide the opportunity where many things start being peeled off of the insurance plan. You know, the daily, the week, the annual checkups, all that. The company's fronting all of that and, and, and reducing the number of visits. Well, inevitably, that's going to offer not only fewer calls, which means better rates, better averages, but a lower cost to the employer. The employee, again, is also out of pocket paying far fewer deductibles. I mean, at some point, you know, you're not going to be doing open heart surgery in a factory floor. Like, that's, that's, that's insane. You would never do something like that. You know, but at the same time, if somebody has something serious, that's the first time they hit the insurance plan because everything else has been taken care of up to that point. And they have a medical record already that shows, hey, I was at the company. You know, here's what happened. I, you know, I had some, had some chest pains or this, you know, whatever the symptoms might be. There's a doctor that has to do their own assessment when they, when they show up at a, to a real hospital. But at the same time, that's the first time they're hitting insurance. And there may be an opportunity to reduce rates at some point as a result. Yeah, and, and what that strikes in my mind is that every company should look at, well, how do we avoid ER and urgent care? If you just avoid those two things by having either your own resources internally or through education, you know, your workforce, I mean, there's real savings right there almost immediately. You know, maybe it's just somebody who's on call after hours so someone doesn't go into the emergency room. Now, if that person on call after hours directs people to the ER by default, then that's a problem. you got to you know, figure that one out. We're here talking today uh, with Andrew Morton, CEO of Bloom Health Partners. It touched upon real, real briefly, Andrew, about decision-making and authority of CMOs. Because in the hospital, most of these positions are you know, they're filled by doctors, physicians, who are very well trained. Most of them have gone back and got their MBAs. So, all right, got a foot in both the medical and the, you know, the business world. But they're figureheads. They're there to you know, keep the workforce motivated and make sure that the doctors don't quit or kill themselves. And they're taking orders from you know, administration who have no care decisions whatsoever. And one of my favorite things to ask CMOs in hospitals and healthcare settings is, what do you do? And then they tell me exactly what I just said. And I go, that's interesting. How do you define quality? How do you define quality of care? And the honest ones will sit there and laugh and say, it's whatever the insurance companies in Medicare tell me it is. Within this conversation, what we're talking about here, I mean, I'm thinking like the CMO is completely unshackled. They can, they can go be basically, you know, making medical decisions for a whole host of people who are very pivotal and very important for the company. Am I correct in thinking that, that now you can free their medical mind to do what's right by people? Well, exactly. I think a CMO, because they're C-level, especially in a public company, becomes a part of compliance. Because now you can offer, now think, think of a couple different, uh, there's a couple different dimensions to this. At the very least, a good CEO will know you can't turn to your CFOs and say, okay, I need you to make the numbers look like this. They are what they are. Otherwise, that's illegal, okay? That's compliance, right? A good CMO should be able to say to a good CEO, hey, these are the things we need to do for our company where next year's not going to be all that pretty because we're going to have a lot of sick people in our hands. Flu season's coming or the next pandemic, heaven forbid, is coming, or at the very least, we have a lot of very unhealthy people here that are borderline type 2 diabetes. We need to do something about our vending machines today. So those are the kinds of things that a good CMO can do, and it's about compliance. 
And a good CEO will know that when they turn to the CMO and they're being told, here's what we need to do here to run the organization correctly, they'll listen. You know, they definitely have, you know, CIOs definitely have the ear of the CEO, and as do CFOs for very obvious reasons. Why not somebody thinking about the health and welfare of the employees too? And for the CEO, especially if they're public, they now have a, a checkpoint for compliance where they can say to shareholders, you know, we have 30,000 or 10,000, whatever it happens to be, machinists and factory workers and back office professionals and all of that, and we, we, we feel very confident that we have a healthy, viable workforce that's satisfied. That becomes a really valuable thing for a company that's looking to attract and, and produce shareholder value. I want to just touch on the fact that somebody might listening might be like, well, you know, that, that's cute, but I don't really see that catching on as a trend. What kind of growth are you seeing in, uh, amongst this mindset of, you know what, we need to internalize and really bring more emphasis into this type of a position? I will say this. We're certainly quite busy, and we're a fairly new company. I wouldn't call us a startup anymore. We're more you know, mid-tier. We're definitely growth. We started two years ago. And um, we've got a lot of attraction to what we do and what we offer because the employers that we're dealing with are just trying to figure out at a very base level, how do I retain and attract employees? I think that that's their first, like I mentioned earlier. Now, that being said, the world is catching on to this quickly. So Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock, very famous investor, probably one of the more famous ones, said on CNBC in January of this year that this is the new world of work. Employee health is pivotal to growth and pivotal survival. And to quote him directly, what he said was, if companies that fail to do this will do so at their own peril. They recognize coming out of pandemic, we have a shortage of workers, a very large percentage of them that are unfortunately you know, in need of some, you know, some, some health, some mental health care at the very least. And in many cases, their physical health probably has gone unchecked. Yeah. And I, I, I will throw out there that, you know, with the advent of remote work or I mean, this is the first time in human history where people are actually able to live where they want to and then find work. We're not consolidating in population centers anymore. And so to be able to find those options or have access to those options, it's getting tougher and tougher through consolidation of the healthcare industry in general, brought on about 10 years ago, that God, the rural, rural healthcare is becoming a very kind of an endangered species, to say the least. So I, I totally agree with, with what you just said there. Andrew, give us your story. How how'd you find your way into this? Great question. So you know, we, we launched our business two years ago, a little bit, you know, it's about two years ago now. Gosh, it goes by very quickly. Uh, and we initially launched it around building a tech platform specifically for employers. You know, there were some initial needs, but to me, the pandemic identified a, a, really a broader shortage, which was, was a gap between the kind of care that's available and how it's delivered. That makes any sense, right? you know. And I think it was very exposed. I think our healthcare system, if nothing, got exposed the last couple of years ago about how things really work. We just weren't prepared for this, you know. And you know, my background—I come from the tech world. I work primarily work in Northern California, primarily in tech companies. In fact, uh, previous life, I was in streaming video, where we did things like ad technologies, where there's data components to understanding patterns and usage patterns, and then you're able to insert advertising based on what that looks like. Also, you know, did a lot of hybrid TV stuff where a lot of it was kind of post-cable TV, like we like to call it, you know, broadband TV, which is it's pretty kind of normal now. But, you know, back in 2011, which isn't that long ago, but I guess, it, I guess it is a long time ago, that was kind of a new concept to have what they called over-the-top video. That went, what, what, what an amazing thing. And the cable industry, of course, said that's never going to happen. There's no change. Well, we all know how that turned out, okay? <laughs> so that being said, healthcare to me felt surprisingly unsophisticated at a distance. And we, when we dug in and looked more and more at the business before we launched it, we recognized, wait a minute, there's some, big, there's some real shortages here. 
But the real ones that suffer in this are the workers because insurance premiums are very high. Companies are spending a lot. You know, and in pandemic times now, because this is, being, this is when things got really, really serious and there's a lot of lockdown, there was no way of understanding who was healthy and who wasn't. Well, and when you look at it a little bit further, you peel the onion back, you realize, well, wait a second. There have been incredibly smart people in healthcare for years doing incredible things, developing pharmaceuticals, instruments, instrumentation, treatments, all of these things have come leaps and bounds ahead. But the way the care gets administered hasn't changed in decades. And as an organization, we recognize that we weren't going to be able to change you know, the healthcare system and take that on. And there's lots of great things about the healthcare system. What we can do is extend care to places where it's very much needed, which seems to be the workplace. And there's some real opportunity for us to make a difference, not just for you know, employers and businesses trying to be productive, but the employees themselves. And the win-win here is that the employer gets a more productive employee and the employee gets a better window into their health. And you know, that win-win is very unique and it's very unique when you build a business model where there's an absolute market demand for it, but at the same time, you're doing a lot of the right things. And so my inspiration for, for launching this business was about building a clinical practice, but then bringing a heavy tech component to this and how we deliver things so efficiently and securely people have private information that's theirs. And the employer has some surety in really overall stats and, and graphs that doesn't show the individual, but shows how healthy the organization is and the viability, which, which is something they can in turn show shareholders, stakeholders, and other employees, you know, what, what the trajectories of the business. And that's never been done before in healthcare. Andrew Morton, CEO of Bloom Health Partners. Andrew, I appreciate you taking the time to join us here on Healthcare Americana. And uh, I hope we change some people's minds about what a chief medical officer can do outside of any type of healthcare settings to really improve the business and improve the lives of those people who are crucial to any business. So I, I appreciate your time and thank you for joining us. No, Christopher, great being here. Thank you. you know, I do truly feel that this coming decade is a decade of the employee. I think uh, companies that get serious about employee health are going to be the ones that are going to thrive in the decades to come. Uh, we've certainly seen a big push ahead and the new generation is coming. It's a pretty exciting time to be part of this. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com to catch previous episodes. Subscribe to our mailing list and visit our awesome online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com 
and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.